knowledge and understanding in the Lord Jesus Christ would just begin to sweep over this house. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, the name that is above every name, every knee shall bow at the name of Jesus. Lord, every fear is bowing at the name of Jesus right now. Lord, every spirit of disillusion, discouragement, despair is bowing at the very name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your enabling power today. For Lord, I know that without you, you will not penetrate the hearts and the homes. But Lord, with you, the revelation that only you can bring of Christ Jesus will transform nations. I ask, Father, for revelation today through the empowering of your Spirit. And everyone in agreement said amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. if you will. I want you to go to Ephesians. I'm going to be reading uh, out of the Amplified Version this morning. Felt like the spirit of Mr. Haney come over me for a minute. Turn in your Bibles with me. And some of you got that reference. Some of you are like, Mr. Haney, who is that? Eighth grade science teacher, I don't know. Let's look here in Ephesians, the third chapter. And I want to read to you, and you can just look here up above. You can read along with me. And I I chose this, uh, this particular passage and this particular translation because I just love the reading of it. And, And I believe that the reading of this passage here, it should not only encourage you, it should inspire you today as we see... Uh, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. It says, may he, speaking of Christ Jesus, may he grant you out of the riches of his glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with the power through his spirit in your inner self, indwelling your innermost being and personality. Verse 17 of the third chapter of Ephesus, of Ephesians. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all of the saints, God's people, the width, the length, the height and the depth depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love that you may come to know practically through personal experience the love of Christ which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled up thoroughly throughout your being to all the fullness of God so that you may 
have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all you dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Is that not good? That's pretty good stuff there, isn't it? Kind of amplifies, if you will. But what I want to look at and what I want us to focus on is the love of God. And today I want to talk to you about beloved identity. Beloved identity. Now, 2020, if you have 2020, it's considered perfect vision. That's nothing new. We understand that. Now, at the beginning of 2020, we had a vision statement starting the year. Lord, give us perfect vision, clear vision in this year. And woe is us. (laughs) Who would have expected such a year? Only the Lord knew what was going to happen. Now, as we look at that, I'll have to tell you that the revelation of clear vision came to me not with a crowd of people sitting in here, but I was standing over or standing in my spot on a Sunday morning, and you were not here, you were tuning in online. The worship team, as many as could be here, were up here, and they were worshiping the Lord. And I'm just running through my, I'm I'm thinking about the the message, I'm thinking about the service, I'm thinking about the condition of the the world that we are in. And and as I'm over there just just meditating and worshiping God, the Lord just dropped something in my heart. It was His clear vision. And the Lord spoke to me as I'm standing there and He said, this is the vision of my church. And the purpose of my church is to bring forth transformation in the lives of those that receive Christ. Transformation, folks. Because as ministers of the gospel, you can get get clouded by a lot of different things. Your concerns can go to all the individual needs within a congregation. Your mind can get crowded on where is this one and where is that one and what are we going to do and how are we going to accomplish and Lord, how are we going to continue to grow and how are we going to continue to go and Lord, uh, what about this one in that spot and this one in this spot and Lord God, just, it's just on and on and on and on and all of a sudden you can get caught up in the mechanics of the ministry. Well, preacher's not supposed to think that way. Well, it happens. But then the Lord can just bring just a lift of the fog off of your mind and bring you perfect clarity as to what we should be about, and that is transformation. Being thoroughly, radically changed into another form, which is Christ Jesus. 
Now, as we look at that, what we understand is that the only way transformation can take place is by the revelation of the Spirit of God. And what the Spirit of God reveals, what He reveals is He reveals Christ in us. He reveals to us truth. But I want to encourage you for the remainder of this year, we're going to be focusing in on transformation. And I'm praying, God, not even knowing what to expect. I'm throwing my expectations out the window. And I'm just going to say, Lord, I'm going to pray according to what you are calling us to do. And Lord, I'm just going to pray that the year 2021, Lord God, let it be better than 2020. But Lord, let the year 2021 be a year of absolute, total, radical, abundant, overflowing, overshadowing, overabundance of transformation in the house of God. I want the Lord Jesus Christ to show up in such a mighty and powerful way that he literally, in a moment, in an instant, transforms individuals who will transform families, who will transform cities, who will transform nations by the power of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we're going to need some help in this house this morning. But as we look here, and let me encourage you as the church, if you don't know what to pray, I'm going to ask you to pray Ephesians 1. Write it down. Ephesians 1, verses 20, verses 17 through 23. Ephesians 1, verses 17 through 23. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may grant a spirit of wisdom and revelation that gives you a deep and personal, intimate insight into the true knowledge of him. You'll read the rest. But folks, I, I earnestly believe that our beliefs will dictate our behavior. And there has been some disinformation about the Lord Jesus Christ. And his intent and purpose, and Andrea did such a fantastic job in life class today, as I know many of our other life class teachers did as well. Go online and you can pull up those, those life class sermons by the end of the day or first thing tomorrow. But let me, let me encourage you to listen because you need to hear what God is saying. As she talked about uh, bridal identity. I want to talk to you today about beloved identity. What does it mean to be beloved? It means to be you are deeply and greatly loved. Now, when we begin to comprehend that, not just with our mind, but with our spirit, and we begin to understand that God intimately and emphatically and infinitely loves us, then it changes how we behave. Because we begin to believe and know that the Lord God loves us no matter what we've done or what we do. We're not working to gather in his approval. We have already been approved and accepted in Jesus Christ in his sacrifice. And see, but if we live in a State, and let me just prove this point by the Word of God. What I believe will determine how I behave. It's the 10 2 principle. 
There were 10 spies that brought back a negative report as they ventured through the land of promise. And there were two spies that went in who, you will recognize their names, Caleb and Joshua, who believed that God had called them to that place and that God would enable them to live in that place of promise. The Lord knew that there would be giants, there would be enemies in that place of promise, but he didn't deter them, didn't distract them, didn't try to get them off course. Maybe he didn't even, in fact, he told them before that they would go in and they would dispossess so they could go in and possess the places of promise. So maybe you'll show up at your land of promise, your place of promise, and all of a sudden the thing that you weren't expecting is there. Though you may not expect it to be there, God knew it would be there. And he's not telling you that that giant is standing there as a deterrence or an indication that you're not where you need to be. Church, it tells us that we are exactly where we need to be. The same depressive spirit that plagued my mother, my father, my generations that came before was there standing in the entrance of my place of promise. And the Lord said, no, it's not a deterrence. I need you to behead that so that your children can have a better footing when they step into their place of promise. Now, as we look at the Word of God and what we see, it's because there were, there were ten spies that did not believe their behavior became as such that they did not step in. It's a lot of promises that we are forfeiting because of the lack of revelation of Christ Jesus in our life. There's a lot that we forego, but see, Caleb and Joshua, they stepped into the land of promise because their belief system the revelation of Jehovah God and the fact that he brought them out to bring them in was paramount in their mind and so they stepped into that place of promise. Eventually, after the naysayers had died off. Now, as we look here, what we see is I love what James says in James 2, just to emphasize further the point that I'm making here in these introductory remarks. He says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you, but do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? So, in other words, James is saying, you've got to be a believer not only in thought, but you've got to be a believer in action. You've got to be a believer that God is for you and nothing formed against you is going to prosper. You've got to believe and it takes a reconciliation of yourself to God, not yourself to the situation. 
Because we find ourselves in situations and we think because of the facts around us, because of things that are transpiring around us, uh, our first thought, many of our go-tos, is God doesn't love me and thus I cannot perform, I cannot go further, I cannot be, I cannot do because of the absence of God's love. That's the circumstance speaking, that's Satan speaking, that's not God speaking. What God is saying to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today is that I loved you, I loved you so much that I gave myself for you so that even when you were unlovable I still loved you and that love will strengthen you to behave in such a way that you'll get radical and you will look like a foreigner living in your own household because you have decided I'm going to believe what God has said about me than what anybody else says about me Now you begin to comprehend is what James was saying. Show me your faith without action, and I'll show you my faith by my actions. I will show you what I believe by what I do, not by what I say. Be a doer of the word. Now, how does that pertain to love? Good question. We've had this conversation on numerous occasions and Andrew did a it says all the credit I'm going to give you so just take it and then the rest of this you just perceive that came from me okay I don't know why we try to give credit it all comes from God anyway amen short little credit so she talked about beloved identity in life class a while back but we've had this conversation of late and we've made mention of this in here that John, now he wrote the book, but he doesn't refer to himself. There are five different occasions where he just calls himself either the one that Jesus loved or the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, when you go to John, you say, well, he he had an opportunity. He, He wrote that. And if I were to present myself and say, look, I'm the one Jesus loves, all of a sudden, we just like, what? You think you're a bag of chips and all that? What? You think you're somebody? You, you, you think that maybe you got something, you're better than me? I know none of you would admit that, but there is a part of you that it's somewhere deep in your, your flesh that, oh, Cain's spirit comes out. Or you just want to kill your brother Abel and say, who do you think you are hauling yourself and recording it? And John did it so conveniently, he put it in the book. He put it in the book and he said, for all eternity, I shall be known as the one that Jesus loved. (laughs) You talking about a brilliant, great move on his part. See, I would believe that John would say to you today, there's a reason why he didn't call himself or describe himself as the apostle of Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I'm, the, I, I'm John the author. I've got a chapter or two in a, in a book you might have heard of the Holy Bible. 
He didn't say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a leader of the New Testament movement called the church. He didn't say, I'm a, uh, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophet. He didn't make any of those title references to himself. He said, when you think about me, just think about me like this. I'm the one who Jesus loves. I'm the beloved. Now, there's a reason I believe the Lord allowed him to write that under. You believe the scriptures are inspired by the Spirit? So it wasn't John's thoughts that are writing that out. I believe it was the Spirit inspiring him not to, so that it would actually provoke us to a sense of zealousness towards our God where we would realize that it's not the titles that the Lord is interested in endorse should to be the titles that we are interested in. It should be the fact that John was saying, I am loved of God because I want all of the children of the Lord to know that they they are loved of God. Now we start to sense what John was after. He was trying to teach those of us by the Spirit of the Lord is that God loves you. The word beloved, beloved, it means to be deeply and greatly loved. Oh, that the Spirit would begin to unveil to you and I the height and the depth and the width and the length of the power of His love working inside of us. See, we base our ability to serve God on our love for God instead of his love for us. When we were yet sinners, when we were completely unlovable, when we did not deserve acceptance, we did not deserve love, everything that we did was contrary to what love would speak. When the Lord told us to go left, we went right. When he told us to stop, we continued. When he said, don't reach for that, we reached for it anyway. He said, don't drink it, we drank it anyway. He said, don't smoke it, we smoked it anyway. He said, don't say it, we said it anyway. We were doing everything contrary to his love. But yet, while we were yet sinners, blinded by our sin, living in our shame and our regret and our remorse, we were lower than a than a snake's belly we were so far below we had to look up to see bottom worthless and no good and the Lord said you are the reason I died you are the reason I rose again so that you may know that you know that you know that I so loved you that when you were yet sinners I died for you once we come to the revelation Christ Jesus loves us. That when Jesus was baptized before he, could, before he did any miracles, is when the voice was heard from heaven. My beloved son in whom I am well pleased. See, but we live in a world where we believe that love only comes 
from a natural place where we love because someone else loves us and there's this interaction and we can't we can't comprehend and, and that love is attributed to the fact that we do something to earn that love and that love is reciprocated and, and those actions are back and forth and now we call that we call that love because it has uh, this interaction but what we fail to comprehend is that God loves us no matter what we do, where we go, or what we may accomplish, or how badly we may fail. God loves us enough to take us out of that sin-sick condition. Now, as we see in 1 John 4 and 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. That word literally means punishment or penalty. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first, what? We love him because he first loved us. It has been revealed this year, not just in the world, but in the church the magnitude of fear that has gripped people's hearts. The magnitude of fear that has overshadowed and tried to rob you of the joy of living for the Lord Jesus. What we see is there's just a I'm not taking from or, or adding to. I'm just telling you what I have observed in humanity is that fear has run rampant in our land. And because people are living in a place where they feel like they are being punished and there's some penalty because of the sin that they have committed, and so this torment has robbed many a child of God from the peace that God wants to give them. So that we have this torment now, perfect means, it means this. It means bring to an end. It means to finish, lacking nothing. That's what it literally means, that word perfect there. So if there is fear resting in my heart, my heart, not yours, mine, then there is, a, there is an imperfection, there's an incompleteness, and there's some unfinished business. If I live in a place in a state where my, I, I feel like there's, a, there's something missing, then I'm not being made perfect in love because once I enter into love, then what I realize is that God's love is perfect and there's nothing else needed. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to say anything. I just have to walk in it and live in it and accept it and receive it because he made the perfect sacrifice. And now because of that perfect sacrifice, I can receive the perfect love of God. It's finished. There's nothing else need to be done. When Jesus declared from the cross 2,000 years ago, it is finished. Three powerful words that resonate throughout all eternity that should be our grasp and go-to every time that we find ourselves in fear. We just say, Lord, I understand that I don't need to add anything to your love. Your love is complete. It is finished. All that I need is already in you. But there's unfinished business. Because I am living in a place where I have not been made perfect in love. If fear is the driving force in my life, that I'm not walking in love. 
I'm not living in love. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you have your neighbor as yourself. If, if there's some measure of fear in my life, that I've got to drive that fear out with his love. Amen? I'm not telling you that I don't get afraid. There are things that scare me. There are things that, that bother me. There are things that cause anxiety in my life. What is anxiety? Anxiety is fear. But when I find myself anxious, then I've got to turn to the Lord and say, God, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to trust your love. That if I never accomplish any other thing for the kingdom of God, what I understand is that you love me no matter what happens around me. It doesn't matter, God, you love me. And there is power in knowing that God loves us and brings confidence to us. We have confidence with God if our hearts do not fail us. That was John that wrote that as well. John the beloved, he who was deeply and greatly loved by God, wrote that in the eternal scriptures. And in there he says, if you will have confidence in the Lord is what he's referring to. If you'll have confidence in his finished work, if you'll have confidence in his love and the fact that he loves you and you can't even know love, that he loved you first and he will always, he will love you first and he will love you last. But once you understand that he loves you, there comes a security inside of you. God, give us a revelation of your love. Because once you understand that he loves you, you don't look for someone else to feel those inadequacies, those incompleteness in your life. It's good to have relationships that lend to love. But let me tell you, until you find your completeness in God and love Him first, you can't adequately love others better until you love God best. Confidence. You remember a little shepherd boy by the name of David? Y'all know him? If you go to church here at all, you'll, you'll find out who he is. I probably got the limits on the number of times you can preach about David. There's a little, you don't know the scale, but I, I do. It's, it's in there. When you talk about, when you preach from a text so many times, there's a limit up there. I'm just teasing you, okay? But I love the story of David and Goliath, don't you? Do you know what David's name means? Beloved. Beloved. One who is deeply and greatly loved. Come here, deeply loved. I need you to run an errand for me. I need you to go check on your brothers who are following King Saul. And as they're out there following King Saul, I want you to take some bread and cheeses and go check on the battle and see about your brothers. Take this to the captains of the, of the army come back and report. So David comes out of, the, out of the sheepfold and he goes and does what his father tells him, not knowing that that very moment that he stepped out, that they, what was, he was listening was not a command of his earthly father, but there was a command of his heavenly father, that as he goes upon this errand, there's now going to be a door of destiny open for him that cannot be closed again because God opens doors. And when God opens a door, he's not going to close it or no man can close it. And when he closes the door, there's not anyone, not you or 
or I or anybody can open it back up. But I'm praying God open up some doors in these lands in which we are living and in the time that we are at because we see that God had opened a door for David. Now, David had been in the field, and he had been tending the sheep. And as he's out there tending the sheep, the reason why he could go before Saul is because he was a worshiper in that field when nobody else was looking. Oh, that God would give us some worshipers that will worship when nobody else is looking. There are so many that are sitting at the house waiting upon promotion. Oh, God, I need you to promote. I need you to open that door. Let me tell you where God opens the door. He opens the door in the field. And David's out in the field. And Saul is tormented with the Spirit. And he says, oh, what could relieve this other than a worshiper? I need someone who knows how to worship to relieve the torment of my spirit. I need someone who knows who is loved of God and who understands that love. I need them to begin to magnify the Lord in front of me so that this torment may leave me. What is the world looking for? It's looking for some folks who know how to worship God to relieve some of that torment of the fear to show them their way. How can we show the way to the world if we ourselves do not know? Oh, God, I love you. He's out there playing the harp. He's worshiping God. And there's a little girl that says, Oh, let me tell you, King Saul, I know where there's a worshiper that'll fit that bill. He, where can he be found? He's not up in the, in, in the town halls. He's not in the streets. He's out there in the field worshiping where nobody else even knows that there's a listening going on. Somebody get that this morning? Somebody get that this morning? Here's David, and he doesn't need his song to be played because he's got a song inside of him. He doesn't need his flavor to be, be served because he's got the flavor in him. He doesn't need to come to church to worship because he's already walking in worship every day. He's magnifying the Lord. Why? Because he's trying to get God to do something for him. Oh, no, no, no. He's worshiping because he knows the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he understands the love. That God has for him and his people. Oh, here's David. He shows up. Now he already knows and has a relationship with Saul. You wonder how a teenage boy could get out there and face a giant when nobody else would. It's because God had divinely set him up. David understood as his name was being called every day, greatly loved. Deeply loved, greatly loved, deeply loved. Come here, I need you to go do something. He shows up and Saul, of course, will not get out there himself and face the giant. But he's got every, hey, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Go ahead and put this armor on, if you will. Go ahead and I, I need you to walk like me. I need you to talk like me. Maybe Saul was wanting Goliath to believe but he was brave enough because he was disguising the beloved as himself. Mm. I, I, I'm just going to disguise you as me. I need you to get out there and do it like I do it. It's not going to work. David said, look, I can't, I can't go out there looking like you, acting like you. God's called me to be me. So let me tell you what I'll do. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to do what I know to do. 
When I took down the lion, it was because of the Spirit of the Lord. When I took down the bear, it was because of the Spirit of God. And this uncovenanted, this uncovenanted Philistine that's standing out there, let me tell you what's going to happen to him today. I'm going to take his head off. I'm going to destroy him because what I do know is this. God loves me. And if God loves me, God is for me. How do I know, church, that he loves us? It's because he gave his only begotten son. He gave heaven's best. He gave the most precious there was to give. He gave his firstborn. And if the God that we serve will give his firstborn, will he not freely give us all things? I want you to go out there, my beloved, and I want you to face those giants because you will not be facing them alone. You're going to face the uncovenanted fear giants and you're going to behead it because there is a God who loves you. There is a God who has called you out for this day. Folks, what do you believe? Fear will tell you it's the end. I believe it's the beginning. I believe God still favors the faithful. I still believe that God has a work in store for Crossroads Assembly of God. I believe that there is a yearning desire in the remnant of the church that God is stirring up, that it is the day of revival, that the Spirit of the Lord is going to move. Oh, I see some transformed lives. I see some people walking in with heavy burdens going out completely free. Those that have been walking in with shackles of shame are going to walk out with victory in their heart because God loves them. Oh, how much different would your life be if you knew that every attack against you that was not self-inflicted <laughs> or some stuff we just we do it to ourselves I don't know why I got this limp well you just shot your toe off <laughs> there's some things that are self-inflicted but those self-inflicted pains are generally attributed to our flesh and our lower nature that was ultimately pointed back to one that hates us not the one that loves us. Church, I believe it's the beginning of the greatest day the church has ever seen. I, I really do. I, I believe it's a day that we're walking into that we're not ending up, we're just getting started. I, I believe it's a day of transformation and I believe, folks, that everything that we do must be centered around transformation. If the core and the very heartbeat of our actions are not ultimately driven by the Holy Spirit to bring forth transformation in our lives, we need to chunk it. I just need a couple. I don't need a majority. <laughs> and if we would realize this. See, that I believe that David beloved, greatly and deeply loved, had confidence because his heart did not condemn him. Because he had been in the field and he had proven that God was able to take care of this. Now, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. 
It's more than just a little clever cliche. It's something I trust in. I trust in the one who called me out, who called me out. And I hadn't quite got to where I want to be in the Lord just yet. But I believe the one that called me out is the one that's going to bring me in. And I just believe that he loved me enough to save me. He loves me enough to equip me. He loves me enough to empower me. He loves me enough to say, it's all right, son. You have failed because you try to do it on your own. Church, it's all right you failed because you try to do it on your own and the clear vision is this you can't do it without Christ we need him in our homes in our houses, in our families, in our school in our government, in our streets in our cities, we need the Lord God more than we need our next breath and what we need is the revelation of the love of God oh Saul let me take care of this for you he's nothing he's nothing my son would now crush me like a bug. I hate to say it. I've told you my only defense is to play dead when he gets on top of me. But when he was little, little bitty guy, he'd come in. He'd say, Daddy, I'm going to take you down hard. <laughs> the fight would be on. Wrestling in the, in the living room floor. And it must have been somewhat baffling to King Saul when David said, don't worry, I'm going to take him down hard. It's probably even more baffling to Goliath. Am I seeing right? I've been out here 40 days in a row, morning and night. Isn't that right? What is it? Morning and night. When, when you offer the morning and the evening sacrifice, the giant was out there provoking the covenant people of God. I've preached this a thousand times and never really... Somebody check me on that. So what's the enemy always wanting to do? He's always wanting to challenge covenant. Mmm. That there was tasty. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you, you'll get it. Amen. Taste and see the Lord is good. God's speaking to somebody right now. The reason why you have been challenged is because the enemy is challenging your covenant between him, between you and the Lord. The enemy is challenging the love. The reason why there are things that happen to us from early age on, either our own self-destructive behavior or abuse that was afflicted upon us by someone else. And the reason it starts so early is because we get in a place where the enemy is threatened by you more than you will ever be threatened by him. And he wants to defame God to you. He wants to tell you the reason things happen to you. And I want this pattern to go over and over and over in your mind. The reason these things happen is because God doesn't love you. Look at the circumstances. Look at the fact God doesn't love you. God God doesn't care about you. If he cared about you, none of these things would ever happen to you. But because this happened, now I'm telling you, God doesn't love you. And what he's doing is he's challenging the covenant that God has made with you. And that covenant is a covenant of love. It's not a contract looking to see whether or not be good enough to receive it. It is a covenant that says, I want a relationship with you, that I love you so much, that I gave my son for you, that I don't think evil of you. I love you. I love you. I love you. You, I love you. I want you to hear it. I want you to know it. I want you to receive it. So the enemy comes out and he wants to challenge the covenant. You say, No, 
hope and confidence is in the fact that God loves me. And that love is perfect. It doesn't need anything on my part. It's finished. It's complete. I don't have to add anything to it. And I'm certainly not going to take anything away from it. Because I've searched and I've tried to find the depth of it. As I've looked through my own eyewear of shame. And I thought, Lord, how deep does your love go? And I can't find the bottom. And I've looked up and I said, Lord, how, how big is your love? And I look and I look and I look. And as the author under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, no, I can't, see the, I can't seem to see the top of it. Oh, I look to the, to, the, to the west and I look to the east. And I cannot even comprehend how good and how merciful and how wonderful is the agape love of God that's not based upon what I've done but what his son has done for me and now he takes that love and he puts it inside of here so that now I can love him with his love revelation I had a conversation with a friend the other day, and in this conversation, they said something that really opened my eyes up, that there are those who choose a sexual orientation and identify with that sexual orientation because ultimately they hate themselves. And my heart broke as I realized what they were saying was true. That God created them to be a certain way. They either want to medically alter that or they want to change the very nature of who they are into something different. They're mad at God, but more importantly, they hate themselves. And in that hatred for themselves, they want to change. Does that not break your heart? But how many of us have self-afflicting behaviors? There are things that we hate about ourselves. And we want to change those somethings. But God made us the way he wanted us to be because he loves us amen don't worry King Saul I'll go take care of this one for you you're just a boy you gonna take me down with those sticks and stones you, you gonna take me down with those few handfuls of rocks you got in your hand there you little shepherd boy, you little stink. I'm going to pull your head off and, the, and they're going to eat your flesh. I'm about to kill you. David said, you, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But I come to you in the name above every name. I come to you in the name of the Lord and the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. And let me tell you where the battle was won 2,000 years ago. 
David was looking for the, the one that would come. We look for the one that's already come that will come again. And folks, we have confidence in his love today. And in that confidence, we have no fear. And if I find myself afraid, I've got to go back to the completeness of God Almighty. In just a moment, we're going to have a special something I want you to stick around for. We're going to crown Miss Phoebe today with her girls' ministry. But before we do, I'm going to ask this as our worship team makes their way up. I'm going to ask you today if you're here right now maybe these holidays have been a very difficult time for you maybe you're at a place right now that it just seemed to reinforce that narrative that's been rolling over in your mind God doesn't love me God doesn't love me Maybe you're in this place today and you're just so full of regret. So full of regret. You know, my grandbabies came over and spent the night, the other night, and I made an awful mistake. I confessed in the foyer. I let my two-year-old granddaughter eat blueberries on a white couch. I was trying to feed them to her, but somehow they slipped out somehow. So I had to say, Andrew, come here. <laughs> I need your help, baby. I got blueberries on the couch. She came in and she wiped it off. She didn't come grab her granddaughter and whip her because she got blueberries. Now I got a big old knot on the back of my head. Maybe that's a feeble attempt to tell you. That's how God sees you. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to falter. You're going to fail. He didn't hold that against you. He wants to take it from you. And the same love that I have for my grandchildren and my children and my wife and is not even comparable to the love that God has for you and I. So maybe it's time that you stop walking in that shame and let God take that from you and replace it with his love. You've drugged that failure long enough. I believe there's a release in this house right now. Stand if you will. Stand if you will. If you know that you know that you've questioned the love of God and you're saying, Lord, I need that revelation. I'm going to let this go today. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are. I want you to come. I want you to come and just throw your hands up to God and say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. I surrender this to you right now. I surrender this to you right now. I, I give it up. I lay it down. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender today. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. These altars are open. These altars are open. We're just going to pray for you. We're going to believe God, and God's going to give you that revelation today that his love so surpasses. You're going to let it go. You're going to let it go. You're going to release it. You're going to release it today. Be brave enough to believe God. 
Come on, ladies. I need some ladies to come help me pray. If you need prayer today, just come. Lift your hands before the Lord. And we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to believe that the revelation of his love is coming now as you lay this down, as you surrender this to him in Jesus' name.